This is Bonjour Chai, the No Nazis at Zabar's edition. I'm Avi Feingold, and I'm here with Phoebe Maltzbovi. We are your Frozen Chosen. On today's show, we talk about only murders in the building, Judaism, the Upper West Side. And then we have a great interview with Shalom Auslander about the N-word. No, not that one. Nazis. Uh, he, we discuss this piece in Tablet Magazine and discuss so much more. All that and more coming right up. Phoebe, can we start talking about geography? Uh, you wrote a column recently about, uh, let's call it, socio-geography, popular culture, and this was spurred on by your watching of Only Murders in the Building. Um, maybe tell us a little bit about what's going on here. Sure, sure, yes. So um, because I have little children, we have Disney+, Plus, and I saw that there was this show that I'd heard good things about, Only Murders in the Building, with Steve Martin, Martin short and selena gomez and i love a sort of comic murder mystery like a, whenever murder mystery is actually comedy that's sort of one of my favorite types of shows so i was very excited to watch this and all the more so when i saw that it's set on the upper west side of manhattan which is not the specific neighborhood of manhattan that i grew up in but it's very near the one i grew up in and i know it very well so i thought oh this will be kind of fun and something about the show seems strange because it had a certain aesthetic, like the typeface of the title is very much like the New Yorker magazine typeface. And uh, just the the building it's set in, it's sort of a, a fictionalized version of a few different buildings, but is the facade they show is this building, the Bell Nord that Isaac Bashevis mm-hmm. Singer, Zero Mostel, Marilyn Monroe and various other famous Jews have lived in. Anyway, um, and there was just like, and there's stuff about delis and all this. It's like a very, very certain type of New York. Like when anti-Semites of yore would talk about somebody as being a little too New York, they meant like that, like a certain type. As we call them nowadays, coastal, right? Right, exactly. (laughs) Um, But yeah, there was something about it where this show is clearly like Jewy beyond all get out, but it's not just like, but nobody's Jewish in it. The actors aren't Jewish. The characters aren't Jewish. The only person who sort of dings as Jewish is some minor character who's like a woman who lives in the building and is seen in kind of like group shots at various points, who's played by the actress Jackie Hoffman, who does, to her credit, look like about 80% of people you see in the fairway supermarket. Like, I get it. Like, she's, that's the thing. That's what people on the Upper West Side seem like. And there was just something about the show, and like a, a few, I'll get into it more as we're talking more, but like certain moments where it really clicked for me, like this is a, re- this is a show about a Jewish neighborhood without Jews. And that seemed, I was not mad at the show. I'll get into why also, but it just seemed interesting. So this led, this prompted me to then Google, not only to confirm uh, <laughs> that the people in it who I thought were not Jewish are not Jewish, but also how Jewish is the Upper West Side? Is this just my subjective impression as somebody who is Jewish and spent time there? Am I just noticing the things about it that are? And the demographics are approximately, and this is like, some of this is from like 2013, so little, so I'm not sure exactly what it is today, but it's approximately 70,000 Jews in a neighborhood of about 200,000 people. So it's not a majority, it's, it's it's not Tel Aviv, but it's not, you know, virtually anywhere else either it's it's pretty jewish so um yeah that's that's the short version but yeah so my column this week for the cjn was sort of the longer version of that. so i had questions for you about this because i had Please. thoughts you know Please. i i have been to the upper west side i uh was dating um when i was dating my wife she was living on the upper west side um and was around there a lot. I had friends in the Upper West Side before I was dating her. This is a, as you mentioned, it is a big enclave for a lot of uh, young single Jews, for example. Um, And I was trying to make a distinction because I know that the Upper West Side is very much, like you say, a Jewish sort of neighborhood. 
But it's not Flatbush. It's not Borough Park. It's not Teaneck, New Jersey. Uh, and I think what I was trying That's to true. create in my mind true. was sort of like, oh, yes, it is very Jewish. But how many of the Jews are identifiably Jewish who live in this neighborhood? And as a result, like, if that's the same sort of, you know, statement that I was trying to get at or thinking that I was going for, you know, trying to wrap my head around this. A lot of the Jews in the Upper West Side or a lot of the Jews who identify as Jews um, internally um, but go about their day-to-day existence, you know, as people, right, not necessarily readily identifiably Jews, are just, they're out there in the street. So that the first point that I was like thinking to myself and wanted to ask you was like, how many of those Jews of the 70,000 are actually observant? And when you walk around the Upper West Side, right, I don't necessarily see it as a Jewish. I know that Barney Greengrass is there and I know that Zabars is there, but I also know that, you know, Dean and DeLuca is a lot more visible, right? And it doesn't read as Jewish and neither does Gristidi. Yeah. Fairway was, you know, it was there. And it, does it read as Jewish? No. Is it where the Jews does shop? Does the Fairway Maybe. read as Jewish? Ooh, we're going to oh have a big God. argument on but that. anyways, yes. it's yes. where you get the kosher sure meat on the Upper West Side. Um, as much as there's a lot of Jews in the Upper West Side and it is Jewy, it doesn't necessarily mean that Jews are going to be pervasive wherever you look. I would say Jews are extremely visible in the Upper West Side, but yes, there are. So, so it's sort of the yes and no. You're right. It's not a Jewish neighborhood in the same sense of of that as Borough Park. It's not full of Haredi Jews. It's not. That's a different community. It, it's the there are more observant Jews around 96th Street, less observant Jews. <laughs> That's exactly where my wife lived, like okay, 96 well, West End. There you go. I, I, I know this area quite well. And basically, what I would say about the less observant, first of all, there are still synagogues, there are still Jewish institutions, there's the JCC on Amsterdam in mm-hmm. the 70s, like there are a lot of Jewish institutions, a lot of non iconic Jewish and Israeli restaurants. There are a lot of places with sort of Jewish institutions of one sort or another throughout that neighborhood. Okay, so that's not it's not just that there's like Barney Greengrass, there's there's a lot. But also, I think you get a different with a different population density of Jews, you get like a culturally Jewish neighborhood. Like, how do you know if you're in an Italian neighborhood? How do you know if you're in a Puerto Rican neighborhood? Like, you just, everybody knows who's everybody around to a certain degree. And like, okay, so I have a very concrete example of this that's not about like vibes or Judar or anything. There was a man who would stand in front of the fairway. I think it was. It was either the fairway or Zabar's, I don't remember, with a table set up where he would sell autographed copies, I believe, of Philip Roth novels. Okay. And was he the one autographing them or was Philip Roth the one autographing <laughs> No, I think them? Philip Roth was, I think my mother may have like once met Philip Roth at this table. But the point is like, or maybe I'm imagining this, but the point is there, there definitely was this Philip Roth book table. Things like that. That is just one example. Like it is culturally Jewish. It literally like that is it. That is where it all is. That does not, to my mind, make it any, make it count less in some way than Flatbush or whatever. And then Flatbush is its own, that could be a separate topic. But it is, it's less visibly Jewish in the sense of like, you do not immediately know that somebody's Jewish if they're wearing jeans and a t-shirt. And like a woman in jeans and a t-shirt, you don't know if she's Jewish necessarily, right? However, I think that the culture of that neighborhood is famously Jewish. It is a famous Jewish neighborhood. It is extremely important to Jewish culture and history and the present day. And it, this is like a center of Jewish civilization, the Upper West Side is how yeah, I would put it. I, you gonna, don't I'm think so because you're a more, okay, strong. I, st- I, I could <laughs> not, like, I cannot understand disagreeing with that. Like, like unless you say the that, that the Jewishness it, that counts is religious. And that no, to me so the way that I would limited. put it is that the, it is definitely a Jewish enclave, but it's not a Jewish enclave in the way that Little Italy is an enclave where everything Jewish is going on. I think it's an everything enclave that happens to have a lot of Jews. I know that we, we, we're going to strongly disagree. I want to come to another point, though, um, which I think comes right up against this, which is that... Um, 
even where you have strong Jewish neighborhoods, I think that Jews often tend to congregate with other Jews, um, socially, culturally, um, especially when they are in neighborhoods with a lot of other Jews. And if you have non-Jews in a building, it doesn't mean that automatically you're going to have this diversity of people and like, oh, there's going to have to be four Jews in with this group of people. The people that are not Jewish in this group might not have a lot of other Jewish friends and that that's okay. And I know and, and the only monkey wrench in that whole thing is, as you point out, they try really hard in the in the writing to write in a lot of other diverse characters, and the only Jewish character there is in the background. But the real point that, that I'm trying to say is that I wouldn't even mind if you have a group of people who live in a very Jewish neighborhood who aren't Jewish show up simply because that is the, the neighborhood. The Upper West Side is very, very much, even if it's not Jewish in this specific instance, it is very much a part of the story. And sometimes non-Jews live and have non-Jewish friends, and they don't need to have Jewish okay. friends in order to prove that they are in the Upper West Side. Okay, so I address this in the piece. I address exactly this in the piece, and I'm going to address it right now. That's why I'm bringing it up. So I do not object to the fact that the core characters aren't Jewish. That seems both demographically true to life and just like, why not? Like, you know, obviously most people who live on the Upper West Side aren't Jewish. There's nothing weird about there being non-Jews hanging out together on the Upper West Side. What is weird is to have this extremely, like, sort of neurotic, white, artsy, intellectual of a certain age, Woody Allen vibe, New Yorker magazine vibe thing happening. This is extremely a certain type of Upper West Side world, okay? This isn't just geography, like which streets they live on. This is like, it matters that they're in the building Isaac Bashevis Singer was in. You know what I mean? Like that is the type of of cachet they're going for. They're going for a certain thing. So nobody, it's like there's one one person in the background of this building that's like the Jewiest possible building is at all Jewish. And then, then this is where it gets really interesting and I think more definitive than where I've gone with this so far, which is like, okay, maybe it is a sort of culture that's very infused with Jewishness, but for some reason, we just don't happen to be meeting any individual characters who are Jews, which is fine, you know, like, yes, they seem to have ticked every other possible box except for Jews, fine, one might say. Then you get to the Delhi King, okay? And Avi, I'm going to want your thoughts on the Delhi King, because the Delhi King is a character played by Nathan Lane, who is indeed a Delhi tycoon, a delicatessen tycoon. First, it seems like specializing in hummus. Then later, there's this little shot of a tabloid about how it sells locks. Okay, locks, right? Mm-hmm. Is he Jewish? No. He is, however, from a family of Holocaust survivors, but it is Greek and Armenian Holocaust, which is not a phrase I've heard genocide. I've never heard specifically that phrasing Greek and Armenian Holocaust. I'm not, I have no opinion about whether, like, that's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying they choose to have a character with this kind of, like, very, very (laughs) classically Upper West Side family backstory and make a real, and he's a deli tycoon, But he is not Jewish. Let's be clear, not Jewish. This man, not Jewish. And he's Greek. Okay, so like, it's it just all seems very much it's like, it's not so if you take any of these things in isolation, it's like, okay, fine. It just seems like an artistic choice. I'm not saying cancel these people. I'm not saying cancel the show. I'm still watching the show. I think it's pretty funny. I just wonder about the choice. Why make it without Jews? So I guess, Avi, if I understand what you're saying, you're saying like, it's not even really all that Jewish anyway over there. It's not Borough Park. A secular Jews, the same as a Gentiles, the same as anything, who cares, kind of? Or am I getting it wrong? If I had to sum up everything that you're saying is that both I agree with you And the way that I'm going to agree with you in a way that I think is going to split the difference is that this is the George Costanza and his parents of a whole show, right? The entirety of the show is basically structured as George Costanza, who is not a Jewish name and clearly not a um, Jewish uh, 
deliberately like Jewish written name individual, but is clearly Jewish through to the core, and his parents are th- Jewish through to the core, and everything that he does is Jewish through to the core. Um, and we've discussed this in the past. And for whatever artistic reason, you know, because George Costanza mm-hmm. became George Costanza, not you know Larry David or whatever. We're gonna read into the Seinfeld, uh, you know, tea leaves and get biblical and biblical commentary, get Talmudic about Seinfeld. Um, this whole show is that right is to sort of say but it's but in the 2020s with this huge huge degree of attention to diversity generally so seinfeld yes so that's where where i'm kind of confused this is the first i'm just making that as an observation okay that's what is going on with the show Mm -hmm. and i think that my initial point still stands that i think what happened in the upper west side is um, and this is where you and I see the Jewishness, I think, a little differently. Um, there's a lot of Jews on the Upper West Side. Jewish Jewiness and Jewishness and Jew stuff has really pervaded a lot of Upper West Side culture, as it has a lot of New Yorkness in general. And the Upper West Side is very much a microcosm and a lens for that, as Jewish as having Jewness to it. But there's not a lot of right, Judaism, right, the way that we've discussed this in the past. And as a result, the upshot and the amazing thing is that Jew-y culture has really opened itself up through all of the Upper West Side to the point where even non-Jews live this sort of culture that has a lot of Jewiness in it. Um, And then the downside of it is that as a result, you can have a show with non-Jewish characters all over the place that are doing Jewy things without having a lot of Jews around in there. Um, And this is the upshot and downshot of having... um, Upshot and downshot? Let's go with it. Uh, The upshot and downshot of having assimilated uh, Jewiness pervade into a larger culture as opposed to where in Borough Park, the Jews are there, or Williamsburg, the Jews are there, the hipsters are in another neighborhood, and... And many of the hipsters are Jewish. Well, many of the hipsters are Jewish, but not observant, yeah. Exactly. So I think that that's what we're seeing in this show. And and to be fair, I know we're talking about New York and it's more of a Canadian show, but I think this, this really has a lot of truth for a lot of the other Jewish neighborhoods in Canada and elsewhere. Zach, I see you frantically waving do you uh you want to jump in here i just wanted to jump in uh because i'm also a big fan of the show phoebe what would you have wanted to see to help you know that someone was jewish because to me it sort of seems like everyone on the show is jewish and it seems like actually like that's my point thank you saying it better than i could have said it (laughs) that it's not that there are no jews that but it seems like Everyone on the show is sort of Jewish and in fact like reflects the level of Jewishness of most of the people who live on the Upper West Side. So does that A, track for you and B, like to know that a character was Jewish, would you have wanted them to show a scene of them like going to synagogue or like so that you know that a character is or is not actually Jewish versus Jewy? And lives on the Upper West Side. Sure, sure. Do you know what I mean? Thanks, Zach. I can can easily answer this one. Yes. So, first of all, I want to just make clear about what in terms of want to see. Like, I I want to just like slightly change the question. It's more like, what would I have needed to see? Obviously, given... I shouldn't say obviously, but given my own, you know, lack of religiosity, I'd like to think, obviously, is not about synagogue. What would have indicated some degree of Jewishness? A Jewish actor, they never mention that the person isn't Jewish. That might be a clue. So like the Jackie Hoffman character, she's never discussed, really, at least not in the episodes I've seen. But she is like a type. She is straight out of the Upper West Side. She is Jewish. To me, this is just like, I can't even like put into it. I cannot explain this in words. She just is. Um, the act, a group of actors who are not themselves Jewish, playing characters, nothing in their name indicates they're Jewish. Now, not all Jews have Jewish names. Not all Jews are any particular ethnicity. I get that. They never mention, it it could be like, there could be a reference to being Jewish. Seinfeld has plenty of references to Jerry being Jewish, and it's not that he's, you know, observant, the character, right? It's referenced that he's Jewish. You're not left wondering. There could be like, 
certain books on the bookshelf might indicate it. There could be like a menorah or a Hanukkah. On a and that's where I saying, think that's where you've lost me because like, okay. but I'm saying so many people um, who don't have a lot of obvious signs, but of they could just literally say house. it like that's that would be my first. And point. Honestly, like Oliver Putnam, right? The Martin Short character could easily be Jewish. There's nothing that says that he isn't Jewish. Other than Jewish. his name being Oliver Putnam. And his and, and his being portrayed it, it, by Martin Short. I mean... Phoebe, like, on, of your experience of, of those types of Jews, on either on the Upper West Side or on the Upper East Side, where you come from, do you think that people, like, drop more explicit things about, like, oh, because I like, come from a Jewish background or whatever, do people drop more explicit... Uh, hints about their Judaism? Or is this like a pretty accurate portrayal? No, I think in actual life, an Oliver Putnam could be Jewish. On a television show, you would only know this if this was said. And in my mind, if they just made this dropped reference or if they just stuck a menorah in the background, I'd be like, that's such tokenism. This person doesn't need to be Jewish. There's nothing advancing the plot in his Jewishness. And so why are you doing this? Just make him Jewy, let him be, and that's it. (laughs) Strong disagree, and I'll tell you why. Because it's not about advancing a plot. It's about if you're going to try to have a show show a specific world. And this is a specific world. This is not, they did not invent like, you know, north, south land neighborhood or whatever. This is the Upper West Side of Manhattan's specific neighborhood with a specific history and a specific present. It would be adding sort of a layer of authentic detail that's what it would be doing it doesn't mean that the show is suddenly about like it, that it's that there are biblical references or something no this doesn't make it a religiously jewish show it's the it doesn't have anything to do with the plot being about like jewish values it has nothing to do with that it's about who actually lives in this neighborhood is a jewish neighborhood to have nobody jewish in it is weird it's not but what i'm trying to get at the other thing that i was trying to get at in the column is it's weird but I want to examine it and I don't want to like be, but I'm not mad at it. I'm curious about the choice because it seems just like a strange choice to me, like to have the Delhi King not be Jewish. Why, why, what is behind that choice? It's just interesting. I think it's interesting. I'm not saying that this means that the people behind the show have some kind of nefarious, or up to something nefarious. I'm not saying, yeah, oh no, actually you. let's be more worried about this than Hamas. Like I'm, I'm not I'm not being nuts about it. I find it genuinely interesting, especially in light of the fact that a show like Seinfeld or, or Friends or whatever, all of these shows were discussed as like showing a very white New York or, or girls, right? Um, you know, the Lena Dunham show showing this very, very white world within New York and sort of if if Jewishness was erased at all in a show like Seinfeld, it would have been in favor of this sort of whiteness that was supposed to be more palatable to certain audiences at the time, whether or not, whatever. That The point is, this it's interesting to have embraced a lot of other forms of diversity and then to sort of not talk about Jews. I don't yeah. know. That's That's what I found kind of interesting. Again, I do find it hard to talk about these topics without sort of like the expectation is, so you're really mad at Martin Short and Steve Martin and Selena Gomez now, right? And it's like, no, I'm, I'm not actually we are mad not. at, we are I'm not. not mad at anybody. Right. It Come sounds on. like, <laughs> Avi, you, you still code, even though you, Avi, do yes. you see these people as Jews? Yes. You, like for all yes. intents and purposes. Yeah. And that's, I think, that's what, interesting at the core me. of what's going on here. And with this, uh, I who's think- Who's the gatekeeper now, to, Phoebe? To wrap up is to sort of say, <laughs> like, do in they my want mind, in? But do they see themselves as Jews? I doesn't mean, matter, I would think, right? There's Jewiness in the air, and they're part of this, and this is what they're doing. And they could be, they could not be. And I think that that's what's going on here is that the way in which you come at your Judaism or your Jewishness um, really ends up interpreting how you end up seeing characters on a screen. Fair enough. Let's move on to our excellent interview with Shalom Auslander right after we hear from our sponsor. Are you in the market for a new watch or a special piece of jewelry? Are you looking for the perfect engagement ring to pop the question? Atelier Lou has all this and more. Eric and the team at Atelier Lou can craft a piece for you, or you can select from some of the exclusive designers that they offer. From a simple bangle to a statement necklace, Atelier Lou can make you or your loved ones sparkle. Located in the heart of Westmount in Montreal or online at atelierlou.com, visit Atelier Lou for your next watch or jewelry purchase. And when you do, make sure to use promo code BON18 for 10% off your next purchase. That's atelierlou.com. Words. 
unlike dancing about architecture, talking about words actually makes a lot of sense. And in the highly charged and incredibly verbose world we live in, we sometimes lose sight of the value of words, both collectively and individually. It's said that the Soloveitchik rabbinic dynasty had a family proverb about how not every thought should be said, not everything spoken should be written, and not everything written should be published. And yet we find ourselves in a world that does exactly that. The distance between thinking something and publishing it has essentially vanished, often to the detriment of humanity, and there is little that is left unsaid anymore. Well, according to Shalom Auslander, at least one of the words that we should leave unsaid is Nazi. As he writes in an article on Tablet, though if you've been reading his substack, this has been percolating for weeks, the word Nazi had power. The word could shake the earth, the word was sacred. And now we run the risk of rendering it into nothing, literally turning it Three, two, one. Literally turning it into the next literally. Shalom Aslander is the author of four books as well as many other written things online and on printed pages and has appeared many times on This American Life. Shalom, welcome to Bonjour Chai. Thank you. Can you start by telling us a bit about the genesis of this piece and your thinking around it? Yeah, I mean, I don't really like writing about Nazis or, or the Holocaust for fun, but um, I have a newsletter on Substack that I started about six months ago. Um, I've avoided all sort of social media. Uh, I have no no social pre- media presence whatsoever and was very happy. But I'd heard good things about Substack from uh, Edgar Carrot, who's a friend of mine and a writer. And so I decided to give it a shot. And within you know, five months later, I'm hearing that um, Substack has a Nazi problem. Um, and I looked into it and I read the articles that were written about it. And uh, two things stuck out to me. One was that it didn't seem like a particularly big problem. And the other was that I'm just completely Nazi'd out. I'm just tired of hearing this word and people being called that. And I realized in thinking about it, that word is completely meaningless at this point. It has no power. We use it casually. Um, We accuse anybody we want of being a Nazi. And I was raised with the Holocaust. I was raised, I sat next to a Holocaust survivor in shul. I I watched Holocaust newsreels as a little kid in yeshiva. That was a heavy word. And somehow I'm now in my 50s and it's a joke word. It doesn't mean anything. And that's sad. And that is criminal. It was interesting that there was this unspoken parallel between the word Nazi and the idea of Amalek, right, that you're highlighting in the piece. Amalek is the enemy of the Jews in the Bible that attacked them in the desert, right? The biblical injunction is both to erase the name of Amalek for what they did to the Jews, but also never to forget it. Essentially turns the word into the ancient F-bomb, right? You use it, but only when it's strong, when it actually has some meaning, but you can never forget it. You don't want to erase this idea, but you have to use it in this way. Um, And what you're sort of hinting at is the idea that like, when everybody becomes a Nazi, then you don't know, you no longer have this idea of what an enemy is or what it means to have somebody who actually hates you, that there's something strong about something. And when you use it for everything, it becomes nothing. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I think that is truer of the word anti-Semite, um, which is also gets thrown around a lot, and is probably on life support. With the word Nazi, I guess when I he- when I heard that word growing up, it was it referred to those monsters in those black and white newsreel clips um, stacking dead Jews into piles with bulldozers. Not someone who hates Jews. Not someone who even ascribes to Nazi ideology. As, as When I was growing up, that was called a neo-Nazi, and that word worked fine, right? And if you look it up, it means, you know, people in the wake of World War II who try to revive that ideology. It sounds like what we're getting at here is that we're really expansionist when it comes to having enemies. Um, and I can't figure out, is it that we're defining Nazi or enemies or anti-Semite wrong? Or is there something wrong with us that we just see enemies wherever it is that we go and we have to start realizing uh, not everybody's out to get us? For me, I think it's both. And that's, you know, right now, as it always is when Israel's involved in some kind of conflict, uh, you hear more about it. But it's almost like if I were African-American, I don't think I'd throw around the word. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, boy, this 
office job that pays me a hundred grand a year is like slavery because I don't get Christmas off. Slavery was slavery. Slavery was an impossibly hideous thing. And we just throw around Holocaust and Nazi and I don't know where it comes from. We're the ones who do it most of all. I mean, it's particularly- That was actually going to be my question about that. Yeah, um, I mean, it's particularly galling when some senator says to somebody else, we, have, we the right wing has a Nazi problem. I'm like, go oh, fuck yourself. Shut up. Well, what I wanted to ask about, though, wasn't so much senators, but more like the soup Nazi on Seinfeld or Mel Brooks and the producers and just kind of the the role of Nazis in Jewish comedy post-war, you know, and the way that it can be sort of almost about diffusing something or processing it or I, I don't know how you want to put it, but like, how do you see that use of Nazi where it's Jews? What do you think of that type of use of Nazi? I think it's funny. Because like soup that's Nazi. Us. Uh, to your point, mm-hmm. that is what it's doing. And it's funny. It's 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 taking what was hurtful and painful and having a go at it. We are diffusing it. But that's different than accusing somebody of being a Nazi. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. That's a completely different thing. And first of all, Seinfeld was a Jew. So was Mel Brooks. So to me, that's like you get a pass at joking at things when you've been victimized by them. But I don't know that I would feel the same way if I heard that Seinfeld said that Donald Trump was a Nazi, right? Mm -hmm. There's a distinction. And maybe Donald Trump is a Nazi. I don't really know. Uh, Having Mein Kampf by his bedside isn't a good sign. (laughs) But, but, But until we know he is, then we don't say so. And it feels like that those are very different things. Everything I write is, is using humor to, correct things or tear down things. And um, I think it's a tremendous weapon. But it's very different than saying, I didn't get that apartment because the people on the board were Nazis and hate Jews. And, you know, my my mother used to sit around at home reading the Jewish press, um, which, you know, is still around, I think, and might as well be just called Who's a Nazi Today? And all it is is Nazi, Nazi, Nazi. And I hear someone's a Nazi and I think, why? Are they wearing tall leather boots? Has it come to that? That's all this word means anymore? This this jumped out at me, this idea of Nazi having come to be shorthand for racist and therefore right. in a very North American, a very US centric way of looking at things, specifically a, a very specifically US type of racist. Look, the word racist is dying, if not dead. What does racist mean anymore? I mean, I, I, I get called a racist just going ahead of somebody in line at Target. Like, it doesn't, it's a meaningless word and it's a critical word because when it does come up about a cop or a rally or, or a politician and you use that word, well, that word doesn't mean shit anymore. So, what, 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 is, what is this? What are we doing? Words matter. I think what you're highlighting is that somebody who is out to get you, but because of you as a person, not you as a class of other, right, uh, a, a racial minority, a religious minority, something else, right, that doesn't make them a racist or an anti-Semite or something. You're just, you're a bad person, and they're the person that, like, you think to yourself, oh, that person is horrible, he must be an anti-Semite because I did something wrong and now they hate me, right? And and we have to be able to learn to differentiate the fact that sometimes people don't like you, not because you're a Jew, but just because you might be a bad person. And on top of that, the other layer of like, we have to start learning that not everybody's always out to get us. Every people in the world have a reason to be afraid. We've all been through uh, horrors. Um, And so it is hard to know when, you know, we're all PTSD and and should be. Um, But that isn't an excuse. That's just a reason. And I think it's up to us. You know, my parents and their parents were closer to the event. We're three generations now, at least I am, from it. You, I couldn't forget it if I wanted to. But, that does, but part of what comes with that, I think, is the responsibility to protect it and to honor it and to not, every time someone draws a swastika on a bathroom wall, that's not a Nazi. That's a schmuck. It's an asshole. And that's a problem. 
but it's not Nazi. I think that we can, I think we can, I think we can address our enemies today without degrading the memory of the our enemies from yesterday. Yeah, Zach, you want to? to yeah, I wanted to quickly jump in because it sounds like there's sort of two issues at hand. One is a general sort of general in society. So much language is becoming sort of hyperbolized. And you just talked about like we all have PTSD. Um, everyone has PTSD. Everyone is traumatized. Someone said something at the uh, supermarket and it did violence to them and it traumatized them. And uh, there's sort of a, a ramping up of all of these terms that once meant something very, very severe. And n now people throw them around a lot more easily. But the thing that I wanted to ask was the reason why Holocaust education is so important isn't that it was like a singular event, isn't that the like Nazis and Germans were so special, like this could happen anywhere. These were the top scientists and top minds in the world who were curdled by these fascist forces that could pop up anywhere. And so we shouldn't think that the Nazis were so unique. We, sh we need to be on guard because humans tend towards these types of behaviors and we need to be conscientious of them. I think, well, I mean, in the first place, there's, there are different levels of on guard. There's DEFCON 1 and DEFCON 5, right? Um, or whatever the color system was after 9-11 for terrorist threats. Uh, we tend to walk around in red. Um, and what happens with that is that when it's the boy who cried Nazi, I mean, we've, 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 we've said it so many times um, and I say in the piece, you know, when I was a kid, Billy Idol was a Nazi, David Bowie was a Nazi, everyone was a Nazi, uh, Jesse Jackson was a Nazi, Al Sharpton was a Nazi, everyone was a Nazi. Did you have that so, story in Yeshiva yeah. that uh, the song in the air tonight was about Phil Collins watching a Jewish friend of his die and not doing anything about it and deliberately you know, there was that story and then there was always a handful of other stories that like showed that this piece of popular culture was like showing how much this person hated the Jews. And there was always some <laughs> weird Talmudic read of some piece yeah. of popular culture that was about that. I, I remember that right. was a big no, feature I, of my yeshiva days. <laughs> yeah, I had, the, I had the thing where it, because it was so ingrained, it, all the lyrics I listened to, I always thought I heard something anti-Semitic. The joint was jumping. I heard the Jews were jumping. I heard whatever it was. Like, there was some Bob Marley song about uh, pirates, them rabbis. And I was like, rabbis are pirates. Uh, and that's not what he was saying. So, I, you know, you just hear it all over the place. Look, you guys are in Canada. I live in a, I live in a country where after this, I'm going to go get some canned peas, some underwear. And if I want, I can get a handgun and ammo. So if it comes to that, I'll be at the front lines. But what I was going to ask, though, is like to just expand it beyond specifically the term Nazi and the, to talk a little bit about the term anti-Semite. And this might be where I have a weird out there galaxy brained take. I don't see like Hamas as specifically anti-Semitic. To me, this seems like a different thing. And I find that that is a little bit confusing, maybe to think of it. like To me, this seems like Palestinians who are mad at Israel it's a different phenomenon than European anti-Semitism. That doesn't mean excusable. It means different. It's a different context. And maybe a different term should be used for that. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah I agree. I, I think a lot of the people who say that don't know any Palestinians. Uh, I, I do. And um, it isn't anti-Semitism. You're right. There, there's, they've, been, they've been degraded and hurt and... Um, just terrorized for a very long time. And the reality is most of Israel agrees with that statement. Uh, not their leadership, but most of Israel agrees with that. Hamas hates everybody. Hamas hates Christians. Hamas hates Palestinians. They'll, they'll very happily kill Palestinians for whatever religious cause they're on. They're thugs. So I agree with you that calling them an anti-Semite not just is the wrong word, but it actually isn't strong enough for what they are. So I agree, but I think that that's part of what, what we've reflexively done with these words, is we don't think about them. We use them lazily, 
And then the next time we use them, we wonder why no one is listening. What's your prescription, aside from that's obvi- the obvious, which is stop using the, the, the word Nazi so freely? Um, I like the idea of making it the Jewish, and well, it's, it's the reverse of the Jewish N-word. It's that, you know, n- we don't get to say it. Maybe Nazis are the only ones who can call themselves Nazis. Anyways, um, mentally, psychologically, and, and as somebody who clearly you've moved from a certain space to another space, and you write about this, how do you move from this space of everybody hating you to realizing what real hatred is, or what real enemies, what real Nazism, or what real anti-Semitism is, as opposed to just, hey, you, get out of my, you know, line, stop cutting. <laughs> yeah, um, step out of America for a minute. My wife's British, she grew up with genuine anti-Semitism. Like, can't wear a yarmulke because people are going to come over and give you shit. Like, go to Israel. Go speak to people. Um, uh, and also go speak to people you assume are anti-Semites and maybe aren't. Um, because we, we tend to paint with a wide brush. And I am not suggesting there isn't anti-Semitism. There is. We're hated. A lot of people hate black people and a lot of people hate gay people. But the question is that how, how much of a reaction and what type of reaction should that get from us? I, I, if, if someone hates Jews, say so. My son's in university, has an, in a very, very well-known, big university, um, in a liberal state, uh, hasn't seen any of it. There was an article in the Israeli paper, Haaretz, by two uh, professors in uh, Israeli in America saying they don't see it at all. And so that doesn't mean it isn't there, but we forget that the way we live now is not natural. We are, we are inundated with news. And the old saw of news is if it bleeds, it leads. And so we're being driven, in a sense, to a sort of state of panic every day, every one of us on different issue, panic buttons, and this is one of them. I think that you have to kind of go, well, let me just put all this news shit aside because they have an agenda and ask myself, well, okay, so how many people do I know on universities? And I've spoken to people and someone will say to me, yeah, no, um, my friend's son had a really scary incident. And I was like, oh, so what, what happened? Oh, well, um, they were in the Hillel house and, uh, and they saw a bunch of uh, uh pro-Palestinian uh, marchers and, and they thought they were coming at them and they had to call security. I'm like, well, they thought they were coming at them and they called security. That's not an act of anti-Semitism. That's a reaction to fear. So we have to ask ourselves yeah, what's really going on. Oh, you know, what, what, what's really happening? And we, unfortunately, the ADL has become a political institution. They changed their definition of anti-Semitism. Anything anti-Israel is anti-Semitism, which it isn't. And so now we don't even know, because they're the primary place for these numbers, but we can't trust those numbers. So ask yourself, you know, and even by the way, the idiot protesters who are saying from the you know, river to the sea, first of all, they don't even, they don't know what it means. And college kids are supposed to be schmucks. They're always schmucks. Why do we, does that make them anti-Semitic? No, it just means they're reactionary idiots who do what their professors tell them to do. But is that an anti-Semite? I don't think so. One of the things that you're highlighting, and this is a point that we've made on the show, or I've, I've made on the show in the past, and I've thought about this a lot, is that anti-Semitism has basically become the new Judaism, right? Fighting anti-Semitism, right? Looking for anti-Semitism, saying that I fight anti-Semitism has become the big yeah. tent under which everybody can congregate. It's basically become the new uh, way in which everybody who's Jewish can be, for lack of a better way, Haredi, right? You're Haredi if you fight anti-Semitism, right? Not Haredi as in like you're an ultra-Orthodox, but the way that you show your strong Judaism is daily you fight anti-Semitism. Um, and this like rabid focus on one thing without this multi, uh, you know, without this buffet of other Jewish things is I think what we seem to be missing, right? You're, you very much lived in a world, I, I live in a world where, you know, 
this is a problem where what happens when everything is religion, you look for ways in which more things can become religion. The ADL changing the numbers, in my mind, that's very much like what we would call the the chumrification of Judaism, where everything becomes a stringency. We, we need to do this. Well, my grandmother didn't do this. Well, no, we need more of this. This is how you show your basic Judaism is you show everybody's out to get us. Um, what else can we do to change this, the nature of the only way in which we show our Judaism is to, you know, say that Judaism is fighting anti-Semitism. It may not be the only answer, right, to, to, to the future of Judaism is to say that we fight anti-Semitism. I, for me, you know, you mentioned Haredi, and I think that's a good example. That word means to tremble. They're, they're, mm-hmm. they, they're proud of their fear. And I don't see fear as being noble. Not a, not Great. fear of yeah. God and not fear of the world. Uh, I don't. When I think of of what I'd like to pe- people to think of as Jews, it's not in their in their attics worried about Nazis. It's 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 engaging with the world. When someone says something, check it. Make sure who that person is and what their real intent is, and name it. I don't I, I don't have any prescription for it. I can tell you that that. You know this name calling and labeling thing that the jewish n-word went up on tablet and it's kind of funny i was called by one person a left-wing woke uh, otd person by others i was called a white male conservative and that's because that's just the 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 culture we live in you call somebody a name you call somebody something and you don't have to deal with it uh, i don't think we're doing ourselves any favors and I sometimes wonder um, if the way we're treating all this is giving Hitler the last laugh. I sometimes picture him down in hell going, wow, I really fucked with their heads. 80 years later, they're still, they still can't get past it. And um, I don't particularly feel like giving him that, that win. There is something about um, making the Holocaust sacrosanct that I struggle with. If we say that only the people in World War II who did these very specific things are like this, is no one else allowed to have a Holocaust? Um, can we talk about the, uh, was there a Holocaust in Darfur? Was it, was there an Armenian Holocaust? Is Holocaust only a word that can be applied to this one specific thing? You're right. I'm not, I never suggested that. That's the Jewish Holocaust. But that feels different for you than Nazi. Well, when you talk about the Jewish Holocaust, I think I know what you mean. Um, and it's very specific. Calling somebody a Nazi is has been degraded. I don't. I never heard anyone say, um, I don't know what you did to these eggs, but it's like a chicken Holocaust in here. But, you know, I have heard people called grammar Nazis. And so I think that it's a question of how and when. Mm. Uh, I mm. don't think that that... Holocausts or genocides, unfortunately, aren't reserved for Jews. And though we said never again, it did happen again since then. And it happened before in Africa and the Holomador. So there are definitely, sadly, instances of genocide and holocausts. Um, I guess what I'm asking for is specificity. And at some level, I can't tell you what to say or not. You want to go call someone a Nazi for parking your car wrong? Go ahead. But I'm asking for a little bit of restraint and understanding that words expire. They don't last forever. They have a shelf life. You know, when I was in yeshiva, they told me a very twisted thing as a little kid. In order to get me to not talk in class, they told us that God, before you're born, gives you a set amount of words that you can say in your life. And when you've said the last number, you die. If you say it by the time you're seven, you die. If you say it by the time you're 90, you die then. So be careful with what you say because God's counting your words. Now, that's extremely <laughs> abusive and <What>? insane. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I, I'm not laughing because I heard the same things also. There <laughs> but there is something wow. to the idea that words expire, that words have a, a number of usage. Um, and Nazi and racist and homophobe and loads of others these days it's like someone's drilled a hole in the bottom and all the power is just draining out of them. And I don't know what words we're going to use to replace them. 
because there aren't any. Those are the best ones. All right. Well, on that note, um, Shalom, thanks so much uh, for the conversation. Will you do us a favor and stick around for the nachas? Yes. Excellent. Shalom, what's your nachas this week? Um, How do people answer that? <laughs> well, I, I, I don't have to say like what do you like this week, or what's you, what are you plugging, or why are you on the road? But what's your not basically topic? basically a little bit. That's I mean we've been doing this for years. I guess it's become short. I find it mysterious too, <laughs> I, how you're supposed to answer it. So I, I will follow everybody else's lead, despite week after week answering it. I uh, let's see what did my not this week. Um, I watched a f- tremendous documentary uh, on Showtime about Dick Gregory, who uh, that everyone should watch, uh, who is an absolute genius and knew the value of words um, and, um, and the power of humor in using them. So I would definitely uh, recommend that. Um, and then uh, if there's something I'm feeling particularly proud of, it's uh, that I'm about five months out from publishing... Uh, a memoir called Fet. Um, and some of the stuff that we've discussed today, uh, I discuss in that book as well. Didn't you a write a memoir time. already? I did. I wrote Foreskin's Lament about yes. um, 20 years ago. It was a setup for that, for me, but for also me to be able to say another memoir, Feh. Yeah, I'm sure like some... <laughs> That I, I've given some clever book reviewers at you know uh, an opening or whatever they'll come up with something hilarious. Phoebe, what's your nachos this week? My nachos is going to be it's connected with the only murders topic, and it's an interview of Martin Short, the actor from Only Murders in the Building, in 1979, being interviewed on the on a CBC, I believe, um, show and talking about how he himself was interviewed by the CJN because the Canadian Jewish News thought that Martin Short was Jewish. People actually believe that you were my cousin? That's true. I I got a call from the Canadian Jewish News (laughs) one day and this girl, um, uh, oh, let's call her Marsha Levy, uh, said, because that was her name, and she said... Uh, I'd like to do an interview with you. And it went on and on. She's setting up the time and should I go to my house or her house or just meet? And uh, she finally, I finally said, you know, I thought about it. And I said, you know, I'm not Jewish, you know. I, I'm Catholic, I'm not Jewish. She said, well, aren't, you, aren't you David Steinberg's cousin? I said, no, I'm not David Steinberg's cousin. Uh, hello, hello, <laughs> hello. And she never, ah. so I, it's, I don't know whether she was mad that I wasn't your cousin or I wasn't Jewish. I, I don't know either, uh, but... We uh, could phone her, because... Uh, but it's nice to know that, but my... <laughs> but I do have a cousin, Morris Steinberg, who is available for interviews, if Marcia is listening. <laughs> and he's a psychiatrist. <laughs> and very funny. Avi, what's your nachos this week? Um, I want to call out a nice blog post that I just read uh, from Marginal Revolution, uh, which is a blog run by Tyler Cowen, who is an economist at George Mason University. There was a post that came up. No one's name was changed at Ellis Island. And this is something that I'd heard from colleagues, from academics, that was like so succinctly put in this blog post that I highly recommend everybody go out and check it out. Um, the idea that like no one's family name was changed, altered, shortened, butchered, or written down wrong at Ellis Island or any other American port, that idea is an urban legend. Um, it was so great for people to like take these things um, take the, that, that we assume are real or are important or the like, this is exactly what happened to the Jews and this is why names are changed not true um that the, the the line that i loved was like it's vital to remember that the people coming over from europe and other places were paying passengers not cattle they weren't shoved onto ships and then dumped onto american shores to be newly categorized by harried immigration officials it's like these people had tickets there was passenger manifests they were given over to immigration officials, and the immigration officials weren't trying to make their names less foreign. The reason why these people spoke all these different languages, the officials were often hired because they spoke multiple languages, and in fact, they would never try to do that. The names were changed often much later. So um, that's my nachos for the week. Go read that and go learn that your family legend about Zadie, mm-hmm. or great-grandfather Zadie, great-great Zadie, changing his name, not true. 
Thank you for listening to Bozhar Chai for the week ending January 20th, Shabbat Parashat Bo. The show is produced and edited by Zach Kaufman. The executive producer for CJN Podcast is Michael Freeman. Our music is by SoCalled. We are a project of the Jewish Living Lab and are distributed by the CJN Podcast Network. You can listen to all our past episodes on our page at the cjn.ca slash bonjour, and you can subscribe to the podcast and automatically receive all episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love it if you told a friend about Bonjour Chai. It is one of the best ways we get new listeners. As always, you can email us with comments at bonjour at the cjn.ca. Thank you.